Well, that was Navina Lalchandani, aka Acoustic Mojo. Please do check her Instagram out. She sings beautiful, beautiful covers. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the second episode of the One Take Show. My name is Kostub Shivastav, and today we have an amazing episode lined up for you. We are in discussion with Mr. Yash Patel. Yash sir is an associate with Sarala Merchant Mangal Das, one of the largest law firms in India, and today. he has very graciously taken time off his very busy and hectic schedule to discuss a very burning topic that is insolvency and covid-19 ladies and gentlemen there are two major changes proposed by the government of india firstly the change in the default threshold which has been increased to 1 crore rupees we understand what is the impact of this decision on msmes the corporate debtors the various financial creditors the operational creditors whether there is a retrospective effect all these factors the second change talks about the suspension of section 7 section 9 section 10 all those sections of cirp triggering clauses you understand the rationale behind it you understand although there is no formal ordinance in place yet but if there is one and there will be one what exactly will be an impact in the future then we talk about the relaxation of limitation and then we hear yashas instinctive insights into how covid-19 will eventually impact the insolvency before we move ahead ladies and gentlemen i sincerely sincerely apologize for the audio quality and the compromise in the audio quality we are recording this episode remotely which is bringing to us a lot of limitations but i believe the kind of discussion we are going to have is going to outweigh these limitations by far so without wasting any more time ladies and gentlemen Let's begin the show and hence the transition. Hello sir, welcome to the One Take show. I am so so excited to have you on my podcast. This is an absolute pleasure for me. And how are you, sir? And how are you surviving this lockdown? Well, uh, what can I say? I'm just getting used to the new normal, Kostov. Actually, I'm I'm pretty elated to be on this show. Well, thank you so much, sir. I must admit that this entire idea of podcast is your brainchild. I still remember the first time you were having a conversation about me making the best of my time, and you suggesting me doing something that I really enjoy. And I believe this podcast is a direct result of that uh, suggestion. So thank you so much. This is your idea, and I am just some somehow trying to make sure that this idea works out. Well, I hope so too, because this is one of those opportunities to make the most out of the lemons that we have got. So so far, let's see how it goes. I mean, well, that's wonderful, sir. So today we have an opportunity to discuss one of the most burning and sensational issues that we have. Uh, that most of the law students who have started studying the commercial and the corporate law usually uh, get involved into. Uh, one of those issues is the insolvency and COVID nineteen. And today uh, you have very graciously accepted to discuss about the similar issue. So we first of all begin with the idea. What are you? What is your opinion on the recent uh, amendments in IBC and the recent uh, recent orders of the government of India? That decision 
so that that they have taken with regards to the uh, suspension of the certain sections of IBC or uh, the initial decision regarding the uh, the default limit of the IBC. What is your idea? What is your perception about these things? We need to look at all of these things that are happening in a very holistic manner. We need to take a very macro overview over these micro changes that have occurred in this so far. So now, first of all, we would like we let's start with the threshold that has been changed for the insolvency and the bankruptcy code. There's a new notification that came out on 24th of March uh, regarding regarding the default threshold being made one crore from one lakh rupees. To be very honest, right. in in fact, in the beginning of the legislation, when the legislation just came out, the threshold was one lakh rupees, which was like a which was which opened a huge Pandora's box. And NCLT somehow ended being the DRTs being choked with cases and not being able to function efficiently because they were not meant for that kind of stuff. So what happened was that people were using insolvency in a manner that is a, as a blackmail litigation. Now you need to understand that just by filing an insolvency petition against the company, what are the repercussions of that, uh, that petition being filed, let alone it being admitted. So let's take for an example, that's, let's say there's a publicly listed company, right? And somehow if an insolvency petition ends up being filed against them for like an amount as trivial as two, three lakh rupees or something like that, just about one lakh by some trigger happy personnel who want to rake up the market. So this, these things have huge impact, huge economic impact per se. So we need to understand that it's a special legislation. It's a beneficial legislation. It does not, it is not a debt recovery legislation per se, right? It cannot be used in that manner. But the sad part was that because of that one lakh rupee threshold, it was being thrown around like that. So operational writers became trigger happy. They were pulling it. They were trying to get their dues cleared. They were sending demand notices and then insolvency being admitted. So that was not exactly what the purpose of this act was in the first place, right, Costo? So let's in in event there is a company like a listed company, if an insolvency petition gets admitted, what are the consequences of that? What is the fallout from that? Let let's say even being at the stage of it being filed. So now the, we all know that the companies are funded by two measures. There can be equity and there can be debt. So debt can be with lenders and by virtue of debt instruments being raised, it can be external commercial borrowings and n number of things and so on and so forth. And equity can be by virtue of being a listed company or uh, shares being issued in the market publicly traded. So if an insolvency petition is just fine and the news spreads like wildfire in these matters, you know it pretty well. So it affects the prices of the shares of that particular company which are being traded. So that leads to a value loss to the shareholders of that particular company, even if the insolvency petition is not admitted. So most of these finance documents that these, company, uh, these companies enter into, for example, these debt instruments or for that matter, your loan agreements, they all have these uh, event of default clauses. And insolvency being one of those event of default, just because of it being filed, it can trigger a subsequent default. You know, these are like cross defaults that can happen all over and it can further uh, create troubles for the particular company. So bearing that in mind, now coming to the aspect of this one crore rupee threshold, now what can be the possible uh, intention behind bringing that particular notifi notification? One of that intention can be that they don't want trigger happy people to uh, use the insolvency legislation in a as a substitute to commercial civil suits or civil suits in general for recovery or any other proceedings or arbitration for that matter. Now, so in order to avoid that blackmailing litigation that is going on, one possible outcome can be that. Now, another question that this 24th March circular notification raises is that that how will it be made applicable? Is it prospective? It is. Is it retrospective? For that, we need to understand how the law works in the country. Now, 
if the if the notification does not say it is applicable retrospectively then it is a presumption that it will be operating prospectively right kostov right sir right for that one of the possible implications can be that uh, all the defaults that have occurred before 24 before this notification coming into picture that means the default occurring from till 24th of march when this notification comes out they shall be governed by the previous Uh, default threshold, which means if right. you have already issued demand notice, which means if there is already a, a default occurred and the debt was due and payable, then I think this notification shall not be made applicable. Now I am I am right. not in a position to interpret this because neither are you. We are not courts of law. That is something that can be decided by the courts of law. But as a as a student of law in general, so this is something that can be the possible fallout of this uh, of this particular notification. Now another right. thing in this regard is interestingly. so now we need to read this with another well uh, with one of the supreme court orders uh, that recently came out right uh, in regards to uh, the supreme court order with respect to extension of limitation that is the order right, 23rd right. of 2020 in which the supreme court right, said sir. that uh, the the limitation for cases with effect from 15th of march till further orders are passed by this court in the present proceedings so now it's a suo moto read that the supreme court is extending limitation with respect to these particular cases so reading that with the possible interpretation that i just told you that before 24th march anything that comes into play this and therefore i mean the creditors before that particular date would still have an option to initiate the cirp against the particular corporate debtor in that regard right sir to that effect i believe there is uh, there is uh, one uh, one possible interpretation that we have received the, the one very very interesting interpretation that you have provided to us that when there is a pre disaster default and uh, and if it is continuing then there was an opportunity for the creditors to file for cirp or possibly initiate the resolution process and hence the benefits of this uh, this change should not be provided to said people but what about those defaults that have occurred after the lockdown or during the lockdown should there be a cure period or a cool down period specifically provided to those industries for example msmes or other such uh, smaller companies who might have gone into the uh, default because of the lockdown ignoring the fact that now the cirp initiating clauses are now suspended for 6 months so if you only talk about this default limit would that have made sense no actually for that we'll have to get into another discussion with respect to the rbi notifications that have come out that are providing right. some sort of a umbrella or a protection to these particular companies in general that's a kind of a moratorium that have given the the deferment of installments and all these things so now so one of the interesting scenarios also that we are looking at in a post covid 19 world right now is of a extensive restructuring and refinancing of debt coming into play and extensive restructuring under the rbi circulars that have come out for for that regard it can be a discussion for another time because then we'll be deviating right that's true that's true yes sir but your your concern is a very valid one because see there there are industries that have been hit by this the, to the extent that it is unimaginable because like look at the hospitality industry look at the aviation industry these are all extensive debt ridden industries they they also operate on significant amount of debt in their capital structure so yeah the concern is very valid that what happens to these kind of industries in in such a scenario hotels for that matter even even cab businesses for that matter and what would happen to these msmes so i think with a in, with a view 
of taking care of these small businesses so that they are not being pushed into insolvency one of the possible uh, reason uh, behind such a notification of raising the threshold to 1 crore can be that as well because if these small industries don't have that significant amount of debt then they can be saved from the insolvency process or being deliberately pushed into insolvency right sir with this i believe now we come to a second concern the second change that was brought in by the government of india which was uh, the suspension of section 7 and 9 uh, i would like to know your opinion on uh, this and what could have been a possible rationale behind this well as i said as i said you know because owing to the logistical difficulties that are coming up with respect to operation of courts and filing aspects and all these things and even running the cirp process for that matter one of the possible reason can be that they do not want uh, companies in this particular time to be pushed into insolvency one of the possible uh, uh, reason can be that as well so uh, apart from so there is a there is a possibility of an ordinance being co- coming out but as of now there is no not much clarity that has been brought about by any notification by ibbi or, or for the matter ministry of finance and right uh to that effect so uh one question like uh, there has been although there is no ordinance out yet but uh, section 8 and section 10 so for example if we just pick up section 10 where the corporate debtor uh, usually initiates the cirp uh, himself or herself in that instance why is section 10 left out as against section 7 and 9 uh, is it that the interest of corporate debtor is being held at a higher pedestal as against to that of the creditors no so you need to understand the entire so if we will have to again go back to the objects and reason clauses of the ibc so one of the major object and reason of the ibc was maximization of value of assets of the corporate debtor right so that so earlier earlier regimes were also there there was winding up before this there was sika before this but what what was what was the issue there the problem was that we were all debtor in position there was for example sika was a debtor in position regime and ibc here is a creditor in position regime because here the the uh, let's say the commercial wisdom of the committee of creditors has been held to be supreme right and the scope of inter- has been reduced drastically to a few sections of the code as of yet if we look at a container of judgment right starting from k shashidhar to you have coc of sr steel now and even swiss rebels for that matter it clearly lays down that the commission that the that the uh, wisdom of the co- committee of creditors is supreme in, in in these kind of circumstances now uh, the possible reason for leaving out section 10 can be that you know that uh, uh, for example if a company feels stressed or it's a distressed asset itself and it cannot meet its uh, daily day to day expenses or day to day uh cash flows are be, uh, being affected adversely then in that a circumstance maybe yes that can be a reason that they are holding a corporate data in a position where they can themselves come and seek the refuge of this particular act because there's also provisions of moratorium and they can save them from attachment so interestingly a couple of days back there was a bombay high court order uh, in which the court refused to invoke a pledge of shares against a, p- a particular company that the security was being held by banks So the reason that was given was that the shares are not these shares are market linked and as of now the value of these shares is is down it's not going up anytime soon as well so yes, even if you invoke even if you get if you if you invoke those pledges that they will not be able to significantly pay off the debt your security is in a way wasted so uh, interestingly i mean one of the 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 courts are also taking an approach that is a pro pro debtor approach in this regard because these circumstances are unusual I mean, this is something which has not been seen before. 
sir uh, to that effect i it actually brings me back to a very relevant point although this might seem repetitive but something that uh, that hits me quite very often that in reading all these changes and as you has just said that possibly the courts are providing better uh, platform for the debtors the creditors seem to be in a position of nowhere to go like they find themselves in a position uh, with uh, not much of relief since the the, the entire idea of limitation being relaxed the creditors might feel that their interest is not being uh, taken into account is that true no not really not really the limitation being relaxed is something that is for the creditors only right so that your debt does not fall outside the purview of limitation it is a pro creditor if it's a pro creditor effect only like say for instance if you if you read the judgment of bk education society in the under the insolvency and bankruptcy court where the very pertinent question was uh, what is the what is the timeline for limitation that runs from default and it clearly lays down that yes it is 3 years from that particular date of default whether or not there is a further extension under section 18 of the of the limitation act by virtue of admissions or not but 3 years as a, this is not a suit or anything else it's an application it's a process of that kind so i think the extension of limitation per se is something which is a pro creditor thing only costo very well, sir uh, i i do agree with that but uh, the ability to initiate cirp and uh, to bring about these issues before the adjudicating authority shouldn't that be something that uh, that should be provided to the creditors although understanding the entire differences here but in other instances for example when we talk about uh the uh, the default that has occurred during the lockdown or the default that is going to occur after the lockdown even in those situations possibly this entire uh, freeze of timeline is going to extend for a year although there is no ordinance out yet in that situation won't the creditors face some problem when it comes to uh, the operational creditors who do not necessarily have huge loans but bare minimum operational services being provided to certain debtor and now would like to make some some sort of recovery so well i mean there has been i was reading an article recently where the operational creditors can always exercise their right under the this uh, other civil remedies that is the commercial courts act and the civil suits that are available to them so it is it is uh, insolvency is not a recovery mechanism for these operational creditors right right so if right. you understand this, i will reiterate my point again that insolvency is not a debt recovery mechanism per se it is a beneficial legislation so you don't like the management we change the management and bring in a new one right so and you can't have the same management in the place which drove down the company in the first place so this is broad broader aspect of the code in itself so the aspect of operational creditors uh, will ha- having no forum to go to is, is is something which is not a practical one because they always have the civil court remedies because here is it's a question of election of remedies that what remedies do they choose to elect in such a circumstance they can always go for arbitration they can always go for uh, civil remedies other rem- other court law remedies that are available to them under the law so yeah i mean one of the remedies i mean because even if you look at it if the company goes into liquidation or let's say for instance the section 53 the ibc waterfall operational creditors are always at a losing end in this in this regard so very if we, we can happily say that they do have the power to rock the boat but once the boat starts sinking they are the first ones to sink along with it so that is something which is there with operational creditors right now so there's there's always that risk well that makes uh, all the more sense now but there is one uh, one instance for example how grave this entire situation can actually be for example what kind of impact will it have on the home buyers since the threshold on section 
home buyers is still under challenge yes yes so uh, and in that regard you need to understand for that we'll have to go back to the pioneer judgment that came around uh, last year the pioneer homes judgment in that there was a significant challenge by the exposition that was added to section 58f of the ibc where the whereby financial they were included as a financial creditor to the company so the rationale that was given that even if that explanation is not there they are still the financial creditor because it's a transaction under the definition of the and definition so provided that transaction is a contractual transaction and there is a exchange of money and this time value of money which is involved therefore it's a financial debt that that was the one of the interpretation that was laid down in that judgment so uh, interestingly what happened was one of the, when i was uh, i mean we were a part of that particular judgment matter was being argued in the supreme court we, i was a I, when i was working with at civil and company we had also filed certain writ petitions challenging the same and uh, i had the opportunity of being in the supreme court to hear the arguments in that matter so one of the arguments that were being raised by the uh, builders there was that now one fine home buyer who is not happy with the real estate prices or or that that they are going down that is investments are not growing in this regard can easily come and trigger an insolvency event against me and i'll i'll be running helter skelter all my projects are going to get disturbed and for one year to two years or one year two year there is nothing which is going to actually happen on ground and just court room litigations so this is something that would lead to jeopardizing the entire interest of the other home buyers that are there barring this one financial creditor right so there is a there was there is a clear mismatch of interest that they were trying to portray that why this class creation is wrong in itself that there can be people who are investors right who are just investing their money they are not genuine bona fide home buyers they don't want a home they just want an investment property right right so, sir uh, in fact uh, in fact taking that into concern possibly this is the reason why it, the threshold was brought into place in the first place right so uh, i mean the threshold is a very practical one in fact if you look at if you look at the amendment ordinance that it was challenged so they say i mean 100 people or uh, 10% of it whichever is less so uh, i think there is nothing wrong in that because you can't you can't just jeopardize an entire project uh, because of one one trigger happy financial creditor coming to the court and getting the cir to admitted so one of the rationale was that so uh, as long as that stay order is operating from the supreme court and it, the matter is not fully decided by the court yet i think uh, they would still have the remedy of uh, initiating cirps as is, as the provision was before the uh, uh, amendment took place right sir thank you so much i think that uh, makes uh, everything so much more clear regarding this entire issue before we uh, conclude this session i would just like to know your last uh, thoughts your closing opinion as to what exactly is going to happen now and how is covid 19 going to impact insolvency potentially in the future so now i was reading an article today that's a very interesting one it is it talks about the pre packaged resolution plans coming into picture now what are these pre packaged resolution plans so there the pre packaged resolution plan basically means that the creditors and uh, and the other stakeholders will already be at an at an agreement with the resolution plan they just need to find a buyer who fits into that in those numbers uh, or a resolution applicant that fits into those kind of numbers of the resolution plan and it goes for a, it, it, the vote is casted and it goes to the nclt directly for approval so normally as of now the process of getting a resolution plan approved in itself is a very tedious one because there are so many stakeholders that are involved every, at every stakeholder there are issues which are coming up there are related party transactions there are let's say home uh, workers coming into play employees filing applications so the process gets uh, a very very i mean it, it's very difficult to keep it fast going fast because one of the aspect of ibc was that it it uh, talks about faster resolution as well 
so uh, one of the possible things that we can see the possible changes that can we can see in the forthcoming uh, days is is a is a presence of a prepackaged resolution plans coming in which would significantly reduce the time taken for an ibc resolution even though the ibc itself provide for a fast track resolution process but in order to reduce the time taken for a resolution plan to come or a resolution plan to be formulated and bringing all the parties on one page and getting them to vote so i think this is something which is a way forward of course there will be uh, practical problems that would come and there will be interpretations that will be drawn from that but i think it is too early to comment on that as of now right sir uh, i believe that is amazing but uh, before i i i take your leave there's one one thing i genuinely want to know from you the last time we were having a discussion you mentioned uh, the case of embassy property and uh, the the insight into that case was very interesting with the ordinance coming in there was a possible overruling of this case but now since the ordinance have gone away there's no amendment in place uh, would you like to share your thoughts on this case the embassy property development yeah i mean it's a it's a classic case of uh, let's say a jurisdictional conflict so when and what are the circumstances when you can challenge an nclt order before the high court because the, the the question here was uh, that uh, whether, whether nclt chennai can pass nclt uh, Chen, uh, chennai can pass an order and it the same order can be challenged before the karnataka high court or whether they can direct an authority that has a power to renew the lease or not and pass those kinds of order which are only vested with the, the powers are vested with only a high court so there there's a question of uh, uh, possible conflicts of jurisdiction that was that were involved in that particular case so whether or not the nclt has the power to uh, look into the aspects of fraud which where where fraud is being alleged so i mean the final ruling was that yes nclt does have a power to look into the aspects of fraud by virtue of section 65 66 67 all these being present yes they can look into the matters in connection to the fraud with respect to the cirp process yes that that power is there now also interestingly that we need to understand that in a in, in a time of moratorium whether or not a, a third party or let's say a government agency or a regulatory agency has the power to terminate a contract or a lease that is there with the corporate debtor is another interesting question because see we need to understand that moratorium is a kind of a status quo that is provided to the company right yeah. i mean as of now status quo yeah. on cases on or as is where is whatever the things are they, they come to a halt but with respect to a moratorium is it possible for the nclt to pass an order to create a hold together new right that is that is something which was challenged in this or in this particular case so that was discussed in depth uh, of it so the answer to it is no you cannot create a new right in the garb of a moratorium and you cannot you cannot bypass the authorities that are present in a particular act by which a sanction or a contract is granted to you let's say for example let's say for example there is a mining lease that is given under the mining and mineral development regulations act and it provides for an authority of itself where whether where you can go and raise your objections to that particular effect or you can file a uh, writ petition before the high court itself to seek a direction in order if you want to seek those kinds of relief but what the irp ended up doing here was the opposite he went to the nclt and sought relief against the karnataka government before nclt chennai so the distinction between two things is that whether an order passed stands without jurisdiction is it a, is it a, is it a valid one even though the law applied is correct the merits of it are correct but but we need to understand this that an order which is passed without jurisdiction is is not a valid order in itself and our order which is passed within the four walls of the jurisdiction of the court merits of may differ you know the order the application of mine and application to the facts and the law may differ the merits of the case may be wrong but the order is still legal because it is passed with jurisdiction here it was held that no this order is not a legal order because nclt cannot 
go beyond what it the jurisdiction that has been provided to it just because it has a power under 60 subclause 5 of the uh, of the IBC code so interesting case it was right sir uh, thank you so much sir i believe this has been one of the most enriching experiences that i have had apart from the fact that i have been following your footsteps uh, through college and uh, post that as well but uh, today discussing a can having a candid conversation with uh, uh, you regarding ibc has clarified so many doubts and i believe all my listeners would benefit from every aspect of this session thank you so much sir and uh, it was a huge huge it was a, it was genuine pleasure to have you on the show Oh, thank you so much, Kostov, for having me, and thank you for all those kind words, Sir Kostov. Thank, thank you. you so much, Sir. And that was today's episode. Yes, Sir, explaining to us. in beautiful detail all those areas and issues under insolvency and covid-19 for any feedbacks corrections or any suggestions please feel free to reach out to me i must also point out a caveat that all these opinions are yes sirs alone and do not represent any solicitation or legal advice from siril amarchan mangal das and should be interpreted only for academic purposes At the end of the day ladies and gentlemen I would only request you to please take care of yourselves stay inside stay strong keep appreciating everyone who's trying to make the best of their times and support each other support the community thank you so much see you next time as like uh, trying to ask you questions and stuff like that हाँ बढ़िया यार तूने वाला क्वेश्चन नहीं पूछा यार सर आप आम खाते हो कि नहीं खाते हो <laughs> <laughs>